home for the most extreme podcasts. My name's Nathan, your supreme host. <laughs> My name is Andy, your middle ground host. And I'm Pat, your stare decisis host. <laughs> and when our powers combined, we are Beat a Dead Source Podcast. Uh, I, I call left leg. <laughs> Although under under that, like one of us is the left leg, one of us is the right leg, and the rest of us is the arms, torso, and head. So and and crotch, and crotch. Right. Everyone knows the most powerful part of Voltron was the crotch. It's true. How are you guys doing? Good, man. How are you? Uh, I uh, I'm good. I'm good. I had a. Uh, the Browns played today, and I'm not a big uh, football guy, but in my former life as an Uber driver, when, you know, it was safe to have people in your car, I would drive people to and from the games, and there's a couple that I really like, and uh, they asked me if I could drive them. I told them that's fine, so long as we could have the windows cracked, and everybody was wearing face masks the whole time, and it was like, a, I had done enough times where it was a nice piece of normalcy. Like, I drove them to the game, and I picked them up afterwards, and the three of us, along with a couple of our friends, uh, played some uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, in the meantime, and uh, it was fun. So I had a really good day, and yeah, yeah things and other than that are pretty good. After that, the the Browns whooped on the uh, the Redskins for like 40 minutes, and, and... I believe you mean Washington. Yes, I do. I do. The Washington football team. I apologize. I'm almost tempted to get a t-shirt that just says Washington football team. Well, I... Like, it's a really interesting thing they've done. I was always a big fan of the the one that looks kind of like the, uh, like an Indians logo, but it was the Caucasians. Yeah, it says the Caucasians. Yeah, that, it is. <laughs> that's a good one. It, it is so jarring to see that thing. I'll put a picture <laughs> of it in the doobly-doo. Uh, specifically, it shows you, like, how racist it is. Because you're like, wow. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's what it already is. Only yeah. <laughs> a different race. Yeah. But um, the Browns did, uh, they, they played really well against the Washington football team, and they won, and they're now, uh, they broke the, the longest active streak of games played at 500 or under. They are now <laughs> above 500 for the first time in 84 games. <laughs> Unfortunately, what I like I said, what I was looking for is like a sense of normalcy, some familiar feelings, and the Browns winning is not a familiar feeling yeah, at all. Yeah, that's not one of them. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I had a pretty good week. the The one asshole at work, the guy Steve that I've complained about before, he he quit. Woo! Take that, yeah. Steve. So that's pretty. Who's exciting. your uh, Who's your friend who started listening that you have two names oh, for? Uh, <laughs> Jocelyn. Jocelyn. Hi, Jocelyn. Hey, Jocelyn. Uh, if you could write in and tell us what an asshole Steve was, so we just don't have to take Andy's word for it, that would be oh. great. Well, we're super gladly. happy to have you, Jocelyn. <laughs> Thanks for showing up. I'm not actually sure that she has actually listened. She just said that she would. Wow. Jocelyn, I'm so disappointed. But I'm sure she has a, a lot of podcasts that she listens to if she's like me. So she may not have gotten to us yet. We do talk a lot. Too much, one could argue. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing that we do. So, I mean, so this is kind of spoilers for the rest of the episode, but some some bummer news this week. You know, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
So that's a bummer. Yeah. It, yeah, that was a real gut punch. I mean, I, yeah. For, and the sad thing is for a bunch of different reasons that we will get into later in the episode, but. Right. But yeah, there was sadness. Yep. Not only was her passing very sad, but the ensuing bullshit is very aggravating. Hmm. Yeah. And we will talk about that ensuing bullshit as soon as we're done talking about our weeks. Uh, did you have anything else about your week other than being sad about RBG? It's been a tough week. It's it's much easier when things are well organized, when things are in the place that you look for them. As you can imagine, like spending the time to look at every single label that's on the on the truck when you might have you know 150 200 300 packages to go through that is time consuming so if you right. have two things for a place and one of them is where you expect it to be and the other one is who knows or not even on the truck um there's a skill that you need to develop that I am terrible at, which is letting things go. Um, <laughs> just go ahead and deliver the one thing, write the other one off as a loss. If you've got time for it later, you can come back and do it. But you got to keep moving. Do you think the quality of deliveries and like how effective they've been have been affected by the volume that the pandemic has caused? Like, do you feel like you almost inherently have to do a your job to, like, just get some semblance of the job done? So, mistakes get made. There, there are mistakes sure. that happen. You're supposed to, like, if I make a mistake and I can catch it that day and go back and fix it, and usually people are really understanding, usually people are really nice, they're like, oh, yeah, so, you know, here, here's the thing that you delivered wrongly to my house. And so if I can fix something the same day that it happens, then it's really not even a deal. That's not even, that doesn't even right for anything. If you don't fix it that day, or if it's something that went missing somewhere else, and for some reason it's supposed to be on you, but it goes missing and nobody can, can account for it, it's just gone, I'm supposed to open an investigation into what happened to it and try to get the person who supposedly received it to sign a paper saying that they did, in fact, get it. That can be from something like a scan not getting made, or it can be something like, you know, in the previous case where it gets delivered to the wrong place, you have to actually go to the person that it got delivered to, see if they still have it, get it back, get it to the right person, have them sign but anyway, so so you'll get a slip, and I know that seems I, like a huge amount of time. Well, yeah, but you have to you have to try to fix it, or or else you know we sure. will you know we'll replace something, and it'll just they'll get sent back another one. But they have a requirement on us because you know we're contractors. There's a requirement on us to at least like make a token effort of trying to fix the thing that we messed up. But as a result, right. since since that is such a pain, you pointed out that that's a huge, incredible pain. I, like, don't make mistakes. I, I make mistakes less than a computer does. I make one mistake in one, one time I sat down and did the math and tried to estimate it. I make less than uh, one in 300,000 uh, deliveries. I make one mistake. Less, less than that. That's very impressive. And and that's because it is an incredible pain whenever you 
do make a mistake, that it's worth double, triple, quadruple checking. I I have a system where, like, you know, I'll look at the address, make sure I see the address on the mailbox, make sure I see the address on the house, make sure, like, if I happen to run into a person, or if they have, like, for example, they have, like, their family name on their door, I confirm that the name on the package matches the name on the door, or I'll say, like, if I see somebody, I'll say, like, this is for blah, 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 and they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, that's my wife, or whatever. And having, like, four points or more of confirmation makes mistakes, like, very, 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 very unlikely. You also have a computer that you're walking around scanning everything with that also helps you prevent making mistakes. So my system is, like, nearly airtight. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty good at what I do. Nice. That's probably way too much time spent talking about deliveries, but... (laughs) It's more important that you don't get into an accident. So speaking of delivering things... Speaking of being very good at things... The Supreme Court delivers important rulings in the United States and has for a very long time. It's true. Since we have been around... Pivot. Yeah, so it's important this week. They've been around since 1790. 1790. Okay, so for 14 years we didn't know what we were doing, but... Right. Well, and 11 of those years were under the Articles of Confederation anyway. Right. So, yeah, we're, we're, talking, about, <laughs> we're talking about the Supreme Court today, and certainly the reason why we're talking about it is because of uh, the... A ridiculously sad passing of uh, the notorious RBG. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in case people aren't good at acronyms. Well, also, we've already said her name in this episode, along with the acronym. But yes, fine, everyone, the notorious Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was fantastic, and she just had a good attitude about everything. She was a a true badass in every version of what that means to people. And uh, we're going to be talking about her, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court, but I think if you guys are up for it, we should talk about the history of the court first. Sure. Right, and it, I think it's incredibly important because we have essentially three branches of government. You can imagine, like, if the government is a monster with three arms, the, the courts are a whole branch of government. They're one of the whole arms. So they are equally important to all of Congress and right. all of the executive branch. It's easy to forget that and, you know, forget about the importance of the courts. And that's why we're here to bang the gavel and remind you how important the courts are. Yeah, well, and specifically, the court is the branch of government that kind of protects the people, or at least traditionally, protects the people from the other two branches, and their over overreaches. Right there, there's this balance of power. They're supposed to rein back the other two. Yeah, and the courts have a particular function in interpreting the law. So, in a broad sense, what what does it mean to interpret the law? You have you have Congress that is writing the law, and you have the the executive branch that's enforcing the law. But what does it mean when we say the courts interpret the law? 
it's one of the most fundamental parts of a market country. Our, our country functions basically on contracts between people, agreements between people. And some of those very important types of kind of contracts it really is the legal code, the constitution and, and the laws. And so basically the court is there to, to decide in cases where the law or legal code is under question. If there's two people who each think that they are understanding the legal code correctly and contradicting each other, the court right. is there to make that decision. What what does this law really say? What does it really mean? Which then, of course, also sets what we call precedent for later interpretations of the law. So future cases that come up, future dis contract disputes between people or between citizens and the government, right? That's when you have stuff like Brown versus Board of Education, right? Where you have a person against the, a government entity. So, you know, in both criminal and civil cases, it's all it's just a contract dispute. Right. And, and one of the things that makes this incredibly important is some of the law was either written hundreds of years ago or was kept intentionally vague. When the Constitution says you're protected from unreasonable search and seizure, what does that mean? You need a court that will say, like, well, in this case, this means this, and in this case, this means this. Like, what is an unreasonable search and seizure, and how are you right. protected against it? And the the history, the precedence of the courts is where you draw a lot of that extra definition from that was not really written into the original law. Right. A lot of the nuance for, for our understanding of things such as the free speech written into the First Amendment of the Constitution. There's a very important court case that I can't think of the name of right now about what does free speech entail? What are you allowed to actually say? And like inciting a panic... You know, uh, running into a movie theater yelling fire, that's not protected under free speech. Right. Um, and that came about, that nuance came about in a court case. Uh, Shank versus United States in 1919 is the source of shouting fire in a crowded theater. All right. So <laughs> something interesting you may not know is that there used to be only six justices on the Supreme Court originally, uh, which is interesting because it's an even number. Yeah, you'd think you'd want to have odd all the time so that way you'd have a definitive answer one way or another right uh, and, and now i'm curious that's that's assuming that it's split along like two party well, <laughs> lines which happens to be the way it has evolved well either way like whether it's party lines or not three to three is still a tie i mean it's funny to even be saying that Three to four, the, isn't it? The, the Supreme Court is not supposed to be party-affiliated at all, in the slightest. To be even having yeah. that conversation tells you something very important that the courts have kind of failed at. And I think justices can still abstain from making a ruling, and the court itself can still go ahead and uh, move forward with the ruling. And I think there's the 1932 law of Havsies, where they can just go both ways on a ruling. No, so I think we're going to need to fact Being that. a higher court, the Supreme Court doesn't hear a brand new case. They're right. not doing jury selection. Right. They're not, you know, hearing testimony. A Supreme Court and any appeals court 
receives a lower court judgment and examines if the proceedings were done appropriately. Yeah, it's a court. It's the ultimate court of appeals, right? And you know, Supreme Court can hear something that just you know gets appealed all the way up. Or, you know, they can hear something that needs to go to the Supreme Court because it is such an important precedence to set. Mm -hmm. People will submit up to 8,000 cases a year, and about 80 of those cases are moved forward. Once those cases are moved forward to the justices, at least three of the justices need to agree that it makes sense for them to hear that case. Otherwise, even out of those 80 cases, some will get tossed out. So it's incredibly, incredibly unlikely that your case is going to get picked if you submit it before the courts. Right, but it it also might be, like, an incredibly important decision to make, like, if it's something that goes back to constitutional law or, like, a new interpretation of the Constitution. That's another way that things get pushed up all the way to the Supreme Court. So what are what are some of the things that the the Supreme Court has done that still like affects us today? So I would point to something like you are you guys familiar with the Terry stop and frisk? Uh No. For the sake of conversation. <laughs> right. Right. So the Terry stop and frisk comes from a Supreme Court case and the precedence that it established was that Police don't need probable cause to pat you down and search for weapons. I think since then that this has been overturned, but it came out of a case that was in Terry versus oh. Ohio. <laughs> oh. Listen, when Ohio is in national news, it's not usually good. Uh, for their own protection after a person has been stopped, the police may perform a quick surface search of the person's outer clothing for weapons if they have reasonable suspicion that the person stopped is armed. So this is on just a hunch, and in some ways you could argue that that is a violation of your rights from unreasonable search and seizure. Yeah. (laughs) It really does seem like it. The thing is, a lot of times when police think you're carrying a weapon or whatever, it's because your skin is dark. And so that doesn't seem like a good reason with like without having to explain why it was that you pulled this person over or that you decided to search them or whatever. Unless you have intelligence to do it, uh, that's not great. The key term here, the, the, the problematic term here is reasonable because it's not a clearly defined term. What constitutes reasonable is open to wide interpretation. Right, and what I'm looking at through the history is that not only has Terry not been overturned, that it's actually been expanded several times in the 2000s. So Yeah, I mean the Patriot Act. So that's great. <laughs> in the 2000s, that seems weird. That decade was super chill for like all kinds of different people. Like, <laughs> We have not had a chill decade in a long time since the 90s. The 80s were okay. I mean, AIDS AIDS were bad. The 80s were not okay, and we all need to stop pretending that they were. <laughs> <laughs> we had, 
I got to, I could drink tab a lot more in the 80s. Anyway, moving on. Well, what else does the Supreme Court do that's important? Well, Arizona v. Miranda in 66 is a huge one that we we all know about because we see it all the time on TV and movies with the Miranda rights. Right. Um, Miranda rights came from a Supreme Court case. There's, I mean, it's not really, it doesn't seem super relevant nowadays, but Brown v. Board of Ed was huge because it desegregated the schools, you know, all the way back in time in the 1960s because America is built on racism. Right. But uh, anyway. Spoilers, another another big one that's going to come around later in our discussion is going to be Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And Roe v. Wade established the precedent that it is legal to have an abortion, I believe. Basically, and by the way, side note, according to uh, Freakonomics, if you've ever read it, Roe v. Wade has done more to reduce crime than any police bills that have ever been passed. Right, that's kind of like a uh, socially Darwin point of view, and it's like, it's kind of dark, but it's hard to dispute the the raw facts of, of the argument made by Freakonomics. Because because when abortions were illegal, it's not like wealthy people weren't having them. If you could afford to not want a baby, you could just not have a baby um, and do it safely. But the poor pe- people born into poverty are then forced to have a baby because they can't have an, ab- an abortion or they could die right. from it. And not, you know what I mean? Well, I don't know that anybody is forced to do the horizontal tango. Rape is kind of a big problem. But also mm, that's that that is a rough argument to make. <laughs> sure. I mean, short of rape, certainly. Even so, I have a big problem with with still leaving them relegated to have that child because just because, but, you know, they may, like, made a mistake, they're going to bring a child into the world. Well, by saying by saying that they, they are forced to have a baby, I mean, you're taking all agency out of the person who is committing an act. They're being forced to follow through with a pregnancy that they neither want nor can support the product of. Sure. I just I I just object stripping that person of their agency. I object putting and I'm not saying that this is what you're doing, but like I think often having sex is associated as like a bad thing or a negative thing. Not having access to adequate birth control is not okay. Like, there's a lot of things that are not okay about that situation. But people f***, and that's going to happen. So them having access to being able to not have go through with that pregnancy, if, like, God forbid something went wrong with their birth control or... what, It it doesn't matter. Like, I I don't want to go through the Sure, but they're not... not they're not a tree that germinates without conscious thought. Yeah. They're not a fungus that just sends out spores without, you know, without making any decisions. People make decisions. Uh, all I'm saying is that people make decisions. Right. And one of the decisions people get to make is whether or not they're going to terminate a pregnancy. And I, I know we're all on the same page, more sure. or less, on this. I, right. I don't think there's anybody who goes into that decision and makes it lightly. To bring it back to the Supreme Court, there's a lot of examples where the court 
rules, either originalist, they call it, but try to inter- understand or, or, or interpret the way that the founders intended. And then there's another kind of philosophy that the country is a very different country than it was and some changes maybe need to be made to how we treat people. Right. And we've talked about this on previous episodes, but the founders were in a bunch of ways. Like they were not, they were not great on a variety of levels, but one of the, the like amazing things they did was they built into the law a function to change the law by the people based on what the current standard was. Right. And I think, I think it's a little unfair to cast like sweeping judgments about people that are several hundred years removed from you. I mean, so you could say of ancient Greek philosophers, like if an ancient Greek philosopher didn't understand that the, the earth rotates around the sun instead of the sun rotating around the earth, like, Oh, those guys are a bunch of idiots. (laughs) Right. No, I, I mean, they kind of did the best with the information that they could. Well, we talked about this in the music episode about like, People can do good things and also be shitty people. And many, many of the founders owned human beings. So, people. Like, I'm going to go ahead and just say people, no matter what time period they're in. That doesn't mean that they didn't form a damn fine country and a very nice document. But people nonetheless. Right, and that would be that would be totally wild if they owned people today in the context well, of... We haven't had slavery in a long time, but if you look at the context of when they were around, I think you have to judge them in that context rather than in I think your modern. Just because a society might not be opposed to slavery doesn't make it okay. Right? It doesn't make it morally and I not objectionable. And I get your point, right? But you're you're making a just you're you're making a juxtaposition if you're going to judge them as if like this is a guy that's running for Congress today in the United but States, people, and this is what his past is and right. what he's doing. But now. people back then knew slavery was sh- too. Like it's not like nobody like sure, also, it's like yeah. saying I mean it's like saying Columbus didn't know that the Earth was flat. Like no, everybody knew the Earth was round. When Columbus set sail, it's just that he was an idiot. Okay, maybe this is maybe this is a really minor distinction, but I'm saying that you know that doesn't give them a free pass. I'm just saying that they need to be judged. Yeah, you know, in and their original. So, context so how about we our, our present? Context. Let's leave it at they got a lot of things right and they got a lot of things wrong. There's a mixed bag. One of the things that they got right was the flexibility to adapt. And to change with times, Hell with, yeah. with new, you know, new culture, with new technology. A genius. It was genius of them to build that in. And that's why I think it's really easy to find the fallibility in the founders, because they knew they were fallible themselves. They built in their own yeah. fallibility into the law. 100%. So I also want to bring up Gore v. Bush, which mm. is just like a really recent reason that you need to have a Supreme Court around. The Supreme Court makes really important decisions. They have this interpretational power. But also when other things fail, when when you need a, a recount or an election is in dispute, where does that case get decided? Where does that wind up? And it winds up in the Supreme Court. And I actually don't particularly like what happened in... Gore v. Bush, but it was an important case. 
Mm-hmm. It sure would. So, yeah, we've kind of talked just a little bit about like the foundations of the Supreme Court and, and if a couple important points along the timeline. But ultimately, I think you know the the integrity of the courts, the nonpartisanship of the courts, is one of the most important facets in theory. Anyway, the court should be really the only place in Washington politics where party isn't supposed to matter. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... But I, I think, no, like, we laugh that about sucks. it, but there was a point where people respected the importance of the office. Like, both the office of the president, right. and I would right. say there was a point where people respected the office of the SCOTUS, of, like, the, those people should be neutral, and clearly that's not true anymore. No, although I will say, especially this previous June term, that Chief Justice John Roberts did a phenomenal job of trying to hold that nonpartisanship of the courts together with, I mean, duct tape and and paper clips and string, string. And bits of wax, like right. anything he could. But they are still human. You're you're still a human being that has been. Formed by your experiences mm-hmm. in the world, and unfortunately, like our our world, even our information sources are very skewed. Yeah, well, and I think there's well, there used to be an important difference between saying that you know being a more progressive interpreter of the Constitution and being a more conservative interpreter of the Constitution versus being a Democrat or a Republican judge. You know, it used to be. They're, they are a judge, and yeah, this judge kind of reads things a little bit more this way, and that judge reads things a little more that way, but they were judges there to be in the middle and, and above the fray. But maybe really since like the 80s-ish, it's become like Republican judges and, and Democrat judges. Even if the judges won't say it themselves, they'll associate it with the president who appointed them. Hmm. And the thing is, it's interesting because there's no guarantee that a justice is going to do what you think they're going to do when you put them on the bench. Sure. Well, look at the, the case, just this term, about Trump's tax returns, and I think both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh voted against him on that. Right. And they've certainly gone his way on other mm-hmm. things that he wanted them to, but you don't have, like, you don't have a control over these people at all. Like, once they're on the bench... They're on the bench for life. And do we think this is a good time to start talking about what happened uh, with Merrick Garland in 2016? Yeah, let's talk about it. So in 2016, um, Scalia dies. And Obama is in... It's 10 months before the election in 2016. And it is Obama's opportunity to go ahead and pick a Supreme Court justice... And the Republicans do what they do best, and they act as obstructionists. I will say Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham have the best audio, just fantastic audio that I'll include some of here. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. So I can't go through all of the hypocrisy from the Republican Party from 2016 But here's a sampling of just a few. First off, we have Marco Rubio. 
Well, I'm not saying it's illegal. He most certainly has the power to nominate someone. The Senate's already said it. Mitch McConnell last night was very clear. We are not moving forward on the Supreme Court nominee until after this election. And the main one of the reasons why is this president is no longer, he's now at the end. If this was early in his second term, that's one thing. But he now has less than a year left in office. Uh, the voters, the, the Supreme Court can function with eight justices. Their, their court, they're, they're not in year round, so they can get through this uh, term of the Supreme Court with all of its decisions. Uh, they've done this before. And then the, there'll be an election in November, and we're going to have a debate about what kind of justice should replace Scalia, and the voters are going to get to vote for a new president. And I think this will be part of their calculus. So I think we should wait till after November before we move forward on confirming any justice to the Supreme Court. The president can nominate whoever he wants, but the Senate's not going to act, and that's pretty clear. So we can be debating it, but we're not moving forward on it, period. And here we have Ted Cruz. By the way, the, 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 the Senate's duty is to advise and consent. You know what? The Senate is advising right now. We are advising that a lame duck president in an election year is not going to be able to tip the balance of the Supreme Court, that we're going to have an election. And if liberals are so confident that the American right. people want unlimited abortion on demand, want religious liberty torn down, want the Second Amendment taken yeah. away, want veterans' memorials torn down, want the crosses and stars of David sandblasted off of the tombstones of our fallen veterans, then, then go and make the case to the people. I don't think the American people want that. I'm very happy to take that case directly right. to Hillary Clinton, directly to Bernie yep. Sanders. Might I introduce Mr. Mitch McConnell? Mr. President, the next justice could fundamentally alter the direction of the Supreme Court and have a profound impact on our country. So, of course, of course, the American people should have a say in the court's direction. It is the president's constitutional right to nominate a Supreme Court justice, and it is the Senate's constitutional right to act as a check on a president and withhold its consent. As Chairman Grassley and I declared weeks ago and reiterated personally to President Obama, the Senate will continue to observe the Biden rule so that the American people have a voice in this momentous decision. The American people may well elect a president who decides to nominate Judge Garland for Senate consideration. The next president may also nominate somebody very different. Either way, our view is this. Give the people a voice in filling this vacancy. And finally, and most hypocritically, Mr. Lindsey Graham. This will stand the test of the time. This is the last year uh, of a lame duck president. And if Ted Cruz or Donald Trump get to be president, they've all asked us not to confirm or take up a selection by President uh, Obama. So if a vacancy occurs in their last year of their first term, guess what? You will use their words against them. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, who it, whoever it might be, make that nomination. And you could use my words against me and you'd be absolutely right. We're setting a precedent here today, Republicans are, that in the last year, at least of a lame duck eight-year term, I would say it's going to be a four-year term, that you're not going to fill a vacancy of the Supreme Court based on what we're doing here today. That's going to be the new rule. Ooh, that's that's rough, guys. Anyway, 
Let's get back to the show. Fact check, fact check, fact check. So what they say is they say we're setting up a new precedent and go ahead and hold us to our word. And if a candidate comes up in the last year of a Republican president, we're going to go ahead and hold this precedent. That we are not going to even hold a hearing, which is the power of the majority leader in the Senate is to set the schedule of when they are going to hold hearings. We're not even going to hold a hearing about the nominee for the Supreme Court. Correct. And so they chose to hold up a nomination for nine and a half months, 10 months in the last year of the Obama administration. So that way Donald Trump would be able to appoint well, whoever won the nomination, and clearly they were hoping it would be Donald Trump and not Hillary Clinton, but they went ahead and held it over, and then Donald Trump goes ahead and nominates... Uh, Neil, Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch, thank you. Yeah, so he nominates Gorsuch. So why, so why is this new? How come nobody had ever done this before? There have been many times where a judge has died or retired in an election year, and the sitting president has... Appointed a replacement. Right, right. The, the radical the radical notion is not that in 2020 that we are electing or that we're nominating somebody during an election year. The radical precedent was 2016, what we're talking about with yes. Garland. But then to turn around and four years later smash that precedent. So, so here's, here's the argument that I've heard. Rough. And you know, feel free to not interpret this as my own words but the words of Majority Leader Mitch McConnell paraphrased by me. The difference between 2016 and 2020 is that in 2016, the President and the Senate Majority Leader and the Senate Majority were opposing parties, and now in 2020, the Senate Majority and the President are the same party, and that is why it's different. And that's why it's okay. Yeah. Um, Mitch McConnell is the worst person alive. <laughs> he's he's very bad. Um, but so can someone... You guys don't see how that's okay? Can <laughs> Here's the thing. I think Republicans get to have their justice. I don't think we can do anything to stop them from swaying the court to being a, a 6-3 court in terms of conservative judges. There's not much we can do. What they don't get to do is have their word mean anything after this is over. They've they've chosen right. uh, to give up any sort of future trust that you can have when you're negotiating with them or you're trying to work out a bill with them in exchange for this temporary win. Well, and, what you know if that if they think that's worth it, then that's fine. But they they can't be trusted on anything you from know, now on. So who who's really swayed by that argument? Because I, I am skeptical that their base really feels this sort of tangible betrayal that the whole left is feeling as a result of this decision. Exactly. It's not like we just suddenly appeared here. I think a lot of their base is feeling like, well, you know, this is, this is fair enough because we really just don't like the left we hate everything that the left is doing and we consider them to be fundamentally corrupt and 
So it is worthwhile to have taken these measures because because we'll fuck them. Yeah. If you if you don't care about honesty, if you don't care about honor, then this is the way you govern. And so now we have a very very clear example of this thing that we've been like that I've been saying for I mean virtually my entire life. But like here we've got it on a plate. We've got Lindsey Graham saying hold me to my words. It's going to be exactly this way. And then coming in four years later and being like, psych, we want another justice. Doesn't matter what I said. Peace out. Right. But there's, I, I'm, what I'm telling you is there's a, a segment of America that feels well served by their representative having done that. Yeah, that's, the, that's fine. They, they can feel that way. And what it does is it turns your party in the party of short-term winners. If your goal is to just win in the short term, no matter what, then, then they're served well. Like, if that's their goal. That's, that's a pretty good description. Of, yeah, so, like, they're, the, they're served of, well. If, they, if that's what they're after, that's fine. But why am I ever going to work with you on another bill? Why am I going to trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? Because I know you're full of you're just going to go ahead and go for whatever is most beneficial for you whenever an opportunity comes up. Right. And I, and I have some hope that there are reasonable people that can be swayed by that. I'm not sure how many reasonable people there are yeah. that haven't made up their mind yet. But I can, I can hope that that is an argument that a reasonable person would put weight into. Yeah. So a couple thoughts. I, I've said it before. But this is, it can't be any plainer. This is a party that is not interested in governing. This is a party that is interested only in maintaining power. Right. That's mm-hmm. all that they're after. And it always, ha- well, not always has been, but it has been for a long time. They're only interested in gaining and maintaining power, not in actually doing anything beneficial for anyone with it. Secondly, you're, you know, to, you're reacting you know, oh, this is such a such hypocrisy, etc. But the thing is that, like, we did not just end up here. The Republican Party didn't just suddenly become right. hypocritical or even suddenly become blatantly hypocritical. We have been building and building and building up to this over a long time. Ten years more? Well, I, I mean, real quick, I, I object a little bit to them being the uh, okay. only party that is just interested in power. I think any party, any government institution any institution of people that exists is mostly interested in uh gaining and maintaining their own power i don't think that that's unique but i mean it's a fair criticism no both parties have been mostly over the last like 30 years both parties have mostly been focusing on trying to find a way to use the government uh as a weapon against their political opponents yeah, but let's not pretend that, like they do it in equal measure. That's some straight-up bullshit. Because the Republicans have, like, weaponized this very, very effectively, I would say, to benefit the richest among us and keep themselves in power. They've they've used religion as a weapon. They've used uh, race as a weapon. They've used fear as a weapon in a way that the Democrats have never done. I mean, that is that is not the way the Democrats work. And ultimately, the Republicans live to serve the rich and the Democrats. Live so this to is serve an open ended. This is an open ended question without without necessarily an answer. But I want you to look deep inside yourself and ask the question, 
if the Democrats had the opportunity to pack a court six to three by delaying a Senate vote and then by powering through a very quick Senate vote, sure. do you think that they would take it? Because I think I think that's a open question. No, I don't I think, think it's definitely I, true that they wouldn't. Well, Andy, you go first. I think if the Republicans hadn't pulled that bull in 2016, I think Democrats now would just shut up and take it. Like, damn it, they get another one. Maybe. See, I think Democrats, one of the things that Democrats never want to be seen as, and Republicans don't care, is hypocritical. It's unfair. I think, oh, they, yeah. I think they go out of their way to not be seen as hypocritical because they know they'll get hit with it from the right, like a hammer. Right. And I but, think that they stay away from that. Now So it's a double so it's a double standard. I think if the Democrats had been able to nominate Garland in twenty sixteen, would they try and push off this election to the next president? Maybe. Maybe. If if they could, if they had the votes to do it, I think certainly, certainly they would. But the thing is that in twenty sixteen the Democrats never said we're setting up a new precedent. Here it is. Here are my words. Hold me to them. Right. I'm not so concerned. The thing that makes me livid is not that they are getting a new Supreme Court justice because, oh, it, that does, like, that, that does it not sucks. make me feel good. But, but if it was the thing fair. Is, right. The thing is, I would, I would go ahead and be like, that sucks. But we had our nominee at the end of the Obama administration, and now it's their turn. And we're going to, like, balance things out. And things would still be 5 to 4. But 6 to 3 is a very different number than 5 to 4. And they just told us we're not going to do this thing. And this, the, the thing that makes this so interesting, it's like the Ukraine call with uh, Trump in that it's simple. It's the do us a favor, though, of hypocrisy within the Republican Party where they've said this very simple thing and now they're doing the opposite. And so you can see their hypocrisy on display in a very, very simple way. Well, I, th- I think... But they have the votes, so they don't care. Right. I, think, I think it really highlights not the evil of what they've done in 2020. I think it highlights the, the wrongness of what they did in 2016. And yeah, who, who were those statements for? Like, if you're going out and making statements saying, hold me to my words, that if this happens in... That's, first of all, probably a pretty poor choice of wording. If you're going to go back on it. But second of all, like, who who are you trying to convince? A better way to approach power would be to say, we are doing this because we can. We are doing this because it is serving our own best interests and helping us to maintain our power. That is the reason we are doing it. We are not sorry. We're doing it. Uh, yeah. I mean. Right. I think they would be honest if they just came forward and be like, yeah, we want another justice. Sorry you don't like what we did in 2016, but... Like, that would be way more honest of the Republican Party. But they don't do that. They come forward and say, well, we have a Republican president and a Republican Senate, and we have an obligation to, like, no, no, you're full of Well, and, and all of that is done with the wink and the nod. Everyone knows. No, They're not really trying to hide it. They're just putting that face out there just enough so that right. they and can't get, like, sued. Mitch McConnell got asked a question at a private event, and I think it was, like, the end of 2018. They, they were talking about the 2016 decision to hold over Garland, the Garland decision until the next president. And he was asked... 
And welcome back to Fact Check. So, I was right and wrong. The clip I'm about to play is from May 29th of 2019. It was recorded at the Paducah, Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, and Mitch McConnell is answering a couple of questions. The question is hard to hear, but he asks, If a Supreme Court justice were to die next year, what would your position be on filling that spot? Should a Supreme Court justice die next year, what would your position be on filling that spot? I'll be filling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, the reason I started with the judges, as important as all these other things are that we're talking about, I mean, if you want to have a long-lasting, positive impact on the country, everything else changes. You know, I, I, I remember during the tax bill, there were people agonizing over whether one part of the tax bill was permanent or not. I said, look, the only way the tax bill is permanent depends upon the next election. The next election because people have different views about taxes in the two parties and approach it differently when they get in power. <clears throat> what can't be undone is a lifetime appointment to a young man or woman who believes in the quaint notion that the job the judges would fall upon. So that's the most important thing we've done for the country, which cannot be undone. So it sure seems like he was full of shit in 2016. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. You knew his bullshit before he, like, before we even got to any of this. So, so yep. the purpose of saying that was what? The purpose of saying that was to convince the American people or to convince the other party that you're going to play nice and that this is a this is a good thing that you're doing yeah, that you to, should work with us? Or I just don't like. I don't get what what purposes serve. They, they want to get their way and have the high road at the same time. So they want to put on this like blanket that makes them seem uh, I don't know what the word is. It, it, yeah, like not innocent but like credible. Like they they want to they want to put on this disguise that oh no, we we definitely have your best interests and we're not huge hypocrites and here's why. And then when it comes up later, they just hope that you forget and then they come up with a new lie when that next thing comes up. It's a it's a longer. If I can offer an alternative explanation, please. It may be a little bit crazy, but hear me out. I think they do it to troll liberals to excite their base. That's interesting. I I don't think that they care. I don't think they care about trolling liberals. If if they can do it. They care about exciting yes. their base. They care about getting the Trump supporters up and and cheering Absolutely. and jeering. And I think and, and it I does think, anytime they can trigger libs. I think if they can do that as a side effect, they do not mind it at all. It is great if they can do it as but a that, side effect. But they're all like you. You said it already. It's all about gaining power and showing their base that they can win. So so I want to pivot real quick and like. I think we did this maybe in sort of the opposite order, but I want to know a little bit more about who who was Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what were the important decisions that she made? Because, you know, we have this horrible loss. It's really regrettable about, you know, the hypocrisy from 2016. But there were a lot of good decisions that came out of her career, her lifetime appointment 
to the Supreme Court. Before she was on the Supreme Court, even, she was, you know, she was a lawyer mm-hmm. and she was shattering the glass ceiling. She she started law school and became a lawyer when it was not <laughs> it was not really okay for women to be lawyers. And it's really funny, like some of the um, things that she are like she argued as a lawyer in front of the Supreme Court several times. Yeah. And like one of the things that I've seen jokes about is she made it possible for women to get into huge amounts of debt that they weren't able to before because like there's a point where if you're a woman, you couldn't get a credit card without your husband or I believe your mm. father's permission to get it before you couldn't get a car loan. You couldn't like, wow. and so like these things she would argue in front of the Supreme court, but when she was still mm-hmm. a lawyer and when she went to Harvard, she was one of yeah. uh, nine women in a class of 500. Her husband had died. She was a single mother who was on, uh, she was the first woman on the law review at Harvard. Like, in- incredible what she did. So there's this, uh, like, a little story, and there's already a couple movies about her, and I believe that they include this scene in, the, in, in at least one of them. But there's this really great story of her in law school. Like you mentioned, there was, like, there were nine women in the class. Not classes in, like, Law 101, but like that year's class of incoming freshmen or whatever. And the dean, I guess, is going around asking these women what to basically... Actually, I can give you a little bit of context for this. He invited them, specifically invited them to a dinner party before he asked this question. He invites them to a dinner party where all nine women are there. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg thinks, finally, this guy who's had his misogynistic stick up his ass for uh, the longest time is trying to hold out like an olive branch. And so she goes to this dinner. Right. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Though, he asks each of them one at a time to stand up in front of the rest of the guests and, how does he phrase it? Um, Justify their being, they're taking a spot there away from a man. Wow. <laughs> so Ruth Bader Ginsburg's response is like basically um, so that I can be a more loving wife and know and understand my husband's work. <laughs> hmm. Just a real flip of the bird. Yeah, I, it's kind of jarring growing up like in a relatively I know things aren't perfect, but like a relatively sort of egalitarian society mm-hmm. and just the jarring juxtaposition to the way things that used to be and not even really that long ago, like women not being able to have credit cards. Like that's just kind of wild. Like I can't, I can't imagine that. Black people not being able to vote. Yeah. Some of the cases she argued seem absurd to us now. Absurd because they're so taken for granted now. Fact check, fact check, fact check. And welcome back to Fact Check. I just really quick want to touch on some cases that Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued in front of the Supreme Court before becoming part of it. Truly enormous cases that affect the way our society runs today and into the future. In 1971's Reeve Reed, she had an Idaho law struck that favored men over women in estate battles. This ultimately extended the Equal Protections Clause of the 14th Amendment to women which then barred laws that discriminated based on sex. 73's Frontero v. Richardson barred gender discrimination in compensation of military personnel. 75's Weinberger v. Weisenfield struck down gender discrimination in state benefits. 
And in 1976's Craig v. Boren, she went out and found a case where a man had been the victim of sex discrimination and used that as a backdoor to argue not that women should have equal freedom in men, but equal obligations. In this way, she was able to argue against sexism in a way that seemed reasonable even to the most misogynistic members of the court. My point is, she's just so amazing, and she's going to be sorely missed. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Back check, back check, back check. So one of the things that makes RBG stand out among feminists and especially like feminist lawyers and some of the, the legal lionesses, you could say, was she did it sometimes in unorthodox ways. In fact, the very first case she even argued in front of the Supreme Court in 1973 was... Frontario v. Richardson. And so this case was, uh, there's a woman in the Air Force and was trying to apply for her husband to receive dependent benefits, but couldn't because men can't be dependent, only women could be dependent. Hmm. And so she can show how sexist discrimination hurts men too yeah it's really like it's a it's a great way to come at the problem and there are some lawyers who like to argue in front of the supreme court and they'll keep on putting up one of these like eight thousand things but they'll look for very specific cases that will hit a very specific part of the law that they want to deal with and then try and get those specific cases in front of the courts and we, we have and to con- sometimes it works and most of the time it doesn't we have yeah. to consider context too like we we have this assumption that oh yeah i mean of course it's ridiculous that only women can be dependents but in the time that was bold that was radical and we only arrived where we are now because of those kinds of decisions yeah and someone had to take yeah. the initiative to see that case for what it was and what it could be. Right. What I keep on hearing over and over again since her death was she was, I think she was five foot one, but she was a giant. Mm. And I keep on thinking about that phrase, standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. I feel like so, so much of this is that. It's the same way in science and the same way in the law. Like you build on and you build on and you build on these precedences and mm-hmm. you work your way up from there. And so much of the stuff that we take for granted now is as a result of her fighting her entire life to to make this happen, to make sure that, yeah. that women have more freedoms. And I would argue, by that matter, all Americans having more freedoms because of it. Yeah. Right. We wouldn't necessarily have had to wound up in a world where we think it's ridiculous that women can't have credit cards. Like, we could have wound up in a different 2020. Yeah. yeah. There, there are certainly countries where that's still the norm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, where women aren't allowed to drive. So, I, she was incredible. I, there's, her, there's her legal career, but also, like the the way that she embraced her notorious RBG name. <laughs> she, she talked about in an interview about how like, well, like people said like it's a little weird, and she said why, why would I feel that weird? Now you're the notorious RBG, which is named after the. It copies the notorious B.I.G., a famous rapper. Sure, Biggie. And when people ask, what do you have in common 
which then notorious B.I.G. I said, we have one thing clear in common, and that is we were both born and bred in Brooklyn, New York. You also love both love words. He's a rapper. You love yes, words. Yes. You're always, you know, you're always spitting your truth. Yes. And both of you are implicated in Tupac's murder. She was very into opera. In fact, she was in six or seven different operas as a non-speaking, non-singing person. <laughs> Just like she would go on stage in, in full outfit and makeup and everything like that. She just, like, she worked out. She, like, did these workouts. In fact, her physical trainer, who worked alongside with her, there's footage of it, and I'll see if I can find it. But the last glass ceiling that she broke was she was the first woman to sit in honorarium in the Capitol, uh, like, because her body sat there. She's the first woman who's ever yeah. been there. And so he came up to pay his respects and then dropped down to the ground and did like three or four push-ups in front of her casket because that was the relationship she had. She's also the first Jewish person to be held a memorial. Also, like when people want to talk about how progressive we are, like that, there are so many things that we haven't done yet that we're still doing. What's funny about all that is when she was nominated to the Supreme Court, the main objection to her was that she was too moderate. <laughs> really? Yeah. Fun fact. Biden was the head of the nomination committee. Oh, yeah. That oversaw her, the meetings and stuff. Let me begin now with, with the questioning. I'd like to begin by asking you about how you will go about interpreting our Constitution, Judge. Judges, as you know better than I do, approach this job in many different ways. And these different approaches often lead to very different results. First, I think the credit goes to the founders. When I visited Senator Thurman, he was kind enough to give me a pocket constitution. I think that was Sam Irvin's. Did you give her Senator Irvin's pocket constitution? But he gave me... I gave her a constitution. <laughs> <laughs> That's the United States <laughs> But this pocket constitution contains another document, and it is our basic rights declaring document. It is the Declaration of Independence, the declaration that created the United States. I think the framers are shortchanged if we view them uh, as having a limited view of rights, because they wrote, Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that government is formed to protect and secure those rights. So this is a really unenlightened perspective that I have seen, but nonetheless, a thing that I have come across is people saying that she should have retired sooner. And I think people have really partisan reasons for putting that forward. 
but that she should not have allowed this to happen. Do you guys have a reaction to that? I remember, and maybe not a lot, but I remember some speculation around the middle of Obama's last term that maybe she and someone else, I can't think of who, might consider retiring to be replaced by younger liberals. But it is a very partisan way to think about the courts, and I think that it's a very unfortunate whenever anyone is looking at the court as a partisan institution. I don't know. The way I feel about it is you would have to look at the Republican Party very cynically if that is true. And maybe she should have looked at them more cynically in retrospect. But I've heard rumors that she wanted to be replaced by the first female president and that no one was expecting Trump to win. But Mm. I want to be clear when I say rumors, I mean rumors. I have never heard or seen anything that she wrote or said that yeah. confirms that. But well, I I don't care. Like it's her choice. Well, that makes that makes sense because every everything pointed to a Clinton victory. So I mean, right. That yeah. doesn't seem like an unreasonable assertion. Uh, and I mean, and uh, who expects to die? You know, exactly, like exactly. You don't you you don't expect you're gonna die. And like probably from her perspective, like. I'm doing great on this cancer. It hasn't come back yet. I'm going to go ahead and roll the dice. Right. I don't I don't support that that claim that she had a responsibility that she should have retired earlier. Um that is that is something that I came across and like seemed seemed really uh how do I put this? Seemed really cynical to me. Right. Yeah, I mean arguably <laughs> In retrospect, maybe she should have, but whatever. Yeah, I'm not, like, I, I. it's one of those things where I'm not going to fault her for it. I, I would be bummed, but ethically fine with Trump appointing her replacement if Garland hadn't gone down how it did in 2016. Right, if we ended up with another 5-4 court, it's not a problem. If they didn't do that, like, it's, it's fine, it sucks, ah, oh, damn, Trump gets a last-minute appointee, but eh, that's fair. They're playing the game. They play, you know, it's a, no one could have predicted. But so, what can what can you do though? I mean, you can fire. Well, up, so you can fire up the Democratic base, and you can say like, "This is why this election is important. That we need to send out people." But can you really hold the the Republicans over the coals on this? Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? No, you you can't because they don't care the voters don't care the politicians don't care they don't give a fuck they do not care how hypocritical they are they don't give a shit it does not matter to them in fact if they can be more hypocritical and get away with it and throw it in your face all the better yeah because it helps them with their base if the if the republicans control the democrats then it helps them with their base there's literally no downside what I would like is I would like the Democrats to learn how to play the game. It's the Republicans who have turned this into a game, and the Democrats need to learn how to work with that. I mean, it's not like there aren't things the Democrats can do. Now, unfortunately, none of the things Democrats can do is stop Republicans from nominating whoever they want and confirming them. But things the Democrats can do are extending the process. For example... There's there's arguments that I've seen that you can go ahead and start a new impeachment hearing and you can go ahead and set that up. So that way 
the timing of it screws with the Senate when they have to uh, make this really, decision. Really, really quick on on that, they could also impeach Bill Barr, which would be much to my delight. I've heard that uh, Schumer is planning on a variety of different rules. There are all these different things you can do, and Schumer has started like researching these different things, and they can't stop them from nominating anybody, but they can sort of make it take forever and be an infuriating process. And if they did that, maybe that sucks, but also it's at least the Democrats doing something, like which they aren't doing now. Like the Republicans have turned this into a game, and it's time for Democrats to realize that mm-hmm. and start playing the game instead of like pretending that they're just better than it. God damn it, now I just lost the game. So, uh, just real quick with the time we have left, I do want to uh, just rapid fire go through some of the stuff. Stuff that is uh, in the history of Amy Coney Barrett. I feel like it is somewhat illuminating. Oh, yes. Well, just to just to be clear, Amy Coney Barrett is the nominee that Trump put forward just this week. I think he he did it on September twenty fifth. She is uh, a candidate. No one can take that away from her. Right, and there is some controversy over her, um, you know, she does come from a background of being Catholic. There is a thing called a uh, super precedence, which is not any kind of doctrine it, legally, but it, it is more of like an idea of cases that were decided by the Supreme Court that we're not really trying to overturn again in the future. And it was a list of cases, and um, one of the ones that she didn't mention in the stuff that she is never going to try to put, uh, you know, turn over, would be Roe v. Wade. People are anticipating that there might be some, some of her Catholic beliefs will bleed into her rulings over the Supreme Court, but that's, you know, you're not supposed to do that, and um, she has stated that she doesn't have her religion be the basis of a deciding factor in a judicial decision. So that's that's on paper, but you know, I guess it remains to be seen. Yeah, I wouldn't say that during the Trump administration what you're supposed to do is going to carry much right. weight. Right. So some of these right. cases and this is literally just coming off of Wikipedia, but uh, Doe versus Purdue University, there was a student who the court of Purdue University had convicted him of uh, a sex offense and um, that he wasn't allowed to call witnesses. He was denied due process. He wasn't allowed to present any evidence and that he had been denied his due process by Purdue University uh, sort of terminating his uh, future Navy career. So that was a unanimous decision by the court that was uh, written by Barrett that said that, um, you know, his due process had been violated in Doe versus Purdue University. So being able to call witnesses, being able to cross-examine witnesses, and being able to present evidence, I I think that that's incredibly important. It's, It's really tough in a case where you're talking about basically hearsay, and you have the, uh, you know, the testimony of the accused and te- the testimony of the victim. And that's, you know, maybe that's all that you have to go on. But I, I think that being able to present evidence, 
when you have rights that are being, you know, being taken away by the government in any form, in any court, that you deserve that due process in order to be able to present evidence. Like, I, I agree with that decision. The, the thing is, when I went through Amy Coney Barrett's past, a lot of these decisions, I find myself like, yeah, I think she was on the right side of that. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on that. I don't have a lot of information go- to go on other than what you said. But like, yeah, in general, I think everybody should have due process. The the way the law performs should perform the same for everybody, whether I like them or I don't or whether they're terrible people or good people or whatever. The process should work the same for everybody. So this next one is mm-hmm. Cook, versus, uh, Cook County versus Wolf. This is something that happened over the uh, Trump administration. There is a public charge rule, which heightened the standard for obtaining a green card. She actually dissented from the majority opinion. And she said that any non-citizens who disenrolled from government benefits because of the rule did so due to confusion about the rule rather than its application. So since this public charge rule... um, that people would be disenrolling from benefits in order to not lose their green card. And in her dissent, she's saying that, you know, people shouldn't be denied benefits because of that kind of confusion. I think she's on the right side of that. First of all, I don't think that we should be... Yeah. No, that we should have that public charge rule anyway. Okay. Um, I mean, I... Listen, we're kind of in the weeds here a little bit with this. Yeah, it seems like she's got a few rulings that I'm in favor of, but she also has a philosophy that I am concerned about. She's been pretty clear about her opinions that life begins at conception, which in and of itself is just a belief, but in terms of on a Supreme Court justice, makes me really concerned about Mm -hmm. abortion rights. Yeah. Yeah, it's very problematic. I and, and here's the so there's a lot of different ways to look at a new judge, and I would really love to do just a lengthy episode on her if she does sure. in fact get appointed. I I think going through her the big cases in her career are important because they give you an insight to how she might rule on future cases. But that's ultimately the big concern here with a potential Supreme Court appointee is how is she going to rule on future cases and what what cases are is she going to try to favor is she going to try and get the court to take on so um you know i I, i'm i'm very much looking forward to dissecting this but are there any other like big red flags or or i guess call them green flags Um, so there's one Cantor versus Barr, just really briefly that she she wrote a dissent that said that nonviolent felons shouldn't be denied guns in the way that violent felons lose their rights in order to bear arms. And I I think that that's hmm. probably right. Yeah, that makes United sense. United States versus Watson, um, that the police... Uh, this was basically like a uh, unreasonable search and seizure sort of case. Um, the people were playing with guns in a parking lot. And uh, based on the tip that they searched their vehicle and essentially, um, you know, Barrett didn't think that they had a right to search the vehicle, that they only had a right 
um, they only had the reasonable suspicion to show up in the parking lot and in, and start investigating what was going on, but that they didn't have the uh, they didn't have the proper grounds of evidence to search the car, and that sounds reasonable to me as well. I'm not with her on that one, but okay. I mean, I understand her reasoning there, but I just disagree with it. Sure. I have more of a general issue with her in that in 2016, during, again, the Merrick Garland stuff, she came out and said that uh, the Senate should not make a pick. They should not choose to replace a justice with someone who does not hold similar beliefs so as to sway the balance of the Supreme Court. Kennedy is a moderate Republican, and he replaced a moderate Republican, Powell. Um, we're talking about Justice Scalia, you know, the staunchest conservative on the court, and we're talking about him being replaced by someone who could dramatically flip the uh, balance of power on the court. It's not a lateral move. Oh, he was a conservative. And, and she didn't want a liberal justice appointed by the Obama administration, but she has, seems to have zero problem with one of the fiercest allies that feminists and LGBT and people of color and one of the like liberal giants of the court has died. And she has zero problem with her being moved in in her place. And she has virtually opposite views on a lot of the things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg believed in. And like at best, she's like a hypocrite along with everybody else. Okay, but I refer you to my previous point regarding conservatives and their hypocrisy doesn't matter. You can point it out all day long and they are just laughing at you for doing it. Right. But what you what you hope is that one of these like the people who are picked are above that. And she's shown that she's clearly not. It's only a problem if the Senate is changing the composition of the Supreme Court against the party of the person that is being replaced if the person that is being replaced was liberal and the new person coming in is a Republican. That seems to be the doctrine that comes out of that sort of reasoning. So, I don't know what you do about that. This is the tip of of a much bigger iceberg. Partisanship in America, that's another episode, I think. Oof. I think that's every episode, isn't it? I love ice. (laughs) We could do, like, maybe a the history of, or I don't know, but so anyway. it does. It does seem to be a concern that abortion and women's rights and LGBTQ rights, with this very partisan Supreme Court, and particularly with Barrett, it's an open question of of what Barrett will do in that seat, and it seems to be very conservative. Which I mean, if you are an LGBTQ, or if you are a woman, that seems to be rather alarming. Or just, like, a decent American who doesn't want to see, or, like... Yeah, or a, per, or yeah, a person yeah. who cares about those rights. Uh, yep. It's frustrating, but not... Like, none of this is surprising. Do like, you, this is all yeah. exactly you, what we knew was going to happen. Do you maybe have something to, like, brighten the mood? <sighs> do you have an actual thing that you think I have? <laughs> I, I was trying to set you up for precious moments. Uh, you know what always <laughs> helps me when I'm really worried about the demolition of our republic is violating the copyright <laughs> of Hallmark. Precious, never, moments. never come after yeah. us, Hallmark, please. 
God. Precious moments. In yeah. fact, if you'd like to host our podcast, yeah. we'd love you know to what? have we you would, as a we sponsor. We would run ads. Oh, man, there are so many things I would do. We would send Hallmark cards to all of our, <laughs> both of our listeners. Can can justices, like, act, still act as lawyers? Like, could we have Amy Coney Barrett protect us in our suit against Hallmark? I don't know. I, th- I think that no. that would be a conflict of interest, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, because that... That suit is going all the way to the Supreme Court. Be the dead source v. Hallmark. <laughs> well, it would be really hilarious <laughs> if you could, and then it wound up on the Supreme Court, and you set both chairs, and they put like maybe like a, a remote TV there for you with a camera on your face, or like a mirror or something that you could sit <laughs> in in two chairs at once. So I have a very simple, very quick precious moment sure. this week. My precious moment is apparently at some point. They finished filming Borat 2, and... Finally. They've just released the full name of Borat 2. It's called Borat, colon, Gift of Pornographic Monkey to Vice Premier Mikhail Pence to make benefit recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to give you guys that one more time. Borat, colon... <laughs> Gift of Pornographic Monkey to Vice Premier Mikhail Pence to make benefit recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan. That's pretty f***ing hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs> I do love Borat. <laughs> the first movie was brilliant, but the problem with the uh, the continuation of the first movie is that now everybody is wise to the game. You have to actually find people that are not aware of the first movie. Because it survives on like pranking people and not being aware that it is Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes. Apparently he's done it because they filmed a new one. It may be terrible, but... Well, listen, <laughs> I'll put it this way. You've heard of the uh, the Impractical Jokers? Sure. It's an enormous hit TV where they prank people on the street who don't supposedly know who they are, because if they did, they would know what was going on. And that show's been going on for how many seasons sure. plus a movie now? So apparently... Oh my god, the <laughs> Impractical Jokers got a movie? I don't understand it. It doesn't make it does not seem to fit the format very well, but whatever. I think there's enough of them and they're not like it's not like they're on a major network. And my guess is if you get hit with one of these like crazy pranks that they do, you're probably more shocked than you are anything and it probably makes it unlikely that you're going to make <laughs> that split recognition that so, they're there. They right. can also they can also just record as much footage as they want until they That's get true. somebody that doesn't recognize them. Right. There's something very uncomfortable about yep. um, like man on the street prank humor that I both love and hate. It's it, like oh, it makes man. my skin crawl, but I can't look away. It's worth it to um, go back and listen to uh, like Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert and like even John Oliver a little bit. So like the really really early. Um, Daily Show correspondence because all their earlier stuff was all about basically like bashing dumb people. They would <laughs> they would hit people with these with these like interviews who were I can't even think of an explanation, but like it was inherently cruel. And they all talk about how much they hated to do it, but it took a very specific skill set for them to do it. And I'm like they moved away from it and. Now, if you watch any of these Daily Show things, they still, like, make somebody look like an idiot, but it's always the reporter 
that ends up looking like an idiot. They they always like turn the joke back on themselves, whereas in the early days they always turned it on the interviewee. And um, yeah, and so it's it still makes me uncomfortable. I don't even know that I'm going to watch the second Borat movie. I do, however, very very much like the title of it, and I am looking forward to. Mike Pence getting some sort of pornographic monkey. <laughs> yeah. I will watch that scene. Definitely. All right. What about you guys? I gave you a good one. A, a banger. Well, so I'll, I'll link this in, sure. in the, the doobly-doo. So there is a, uh, a YouTuber that I've recently come across, that, an animator called All in All, based out of Moscow, Russia, that, that does... It, it's based on the Elder Scrolls franchise of video games, and he does like okay. lore videos, but they're very creative, and they draw like influence from anime, and like there's original compositions of music in them, just like incredibly violent. So if you're not into blood, I guess stay away from it. But I found to be really entertaining and uh, really awesome. So check out All in All. That's that's all I got. <laughs> all right. I will. Uh, um, so I guess it, it's about like mythology. Um, I so it's, won't. it's like the mythology of the lore of this, this video game. People that you don't see, but you just hear about historically. And in some of the cases, like you get conflicting historical reports. Um, <laughs> so just like mythology is really interesting to me, both real mythology and, you know, made up mythology. I don't know if I ever told you guys this before, but you know those, like, turn-of-the-century, like, fake towns that you can go to and they show you how to churn butter or, like, how to blacksmith something or whatever? Sure. Um, I I went to one of those when I was a teenager with some friends, and the <laughs> the mistake that the people made is, like, one of the first people we talked to sort of insinuated that the mayor was having an affair with one of the women in the town and the rest of the day, the only thing my, my entire group did was try and like interrogate the blacksmith on like, all right, yeah, that's fun and everything. But when is Miss Smith get together with the mayor? Do they head out of town? Like, where does he live? Like what, what's going on? Like, and so we just tried to like destroy the small town from the inside to like interrogate them about this one oh, piece boy. of information. It's, uh, I would highly suggest you do it anywhere you go. It was, I think some of the actors found it annoying and some of them had fun with it because how often do they actually get to act and do any sort of improvisation that doesn't revolve around like butter or whatever? It was pretty awesome. Butter. 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 That's cool. I got, I got something. So <laughs> I stumbled across this article about, you've heard sure. of Costco? Yes. The, uh. Retail, retail oh, sure. giant. You can buy like large quantities of things there. They they also have like a little cafeteria. So they do. They have a cafeteria, and at that cafeteria, very kind of famously, you can get a quarter pound hot dog and a twenty ounce soda. It's like a dollar fifty. Wow, that is really cheap. And it's like a it's a good hot dog too. It's it's. I've had that hot dog many many times, and it's very good. It's like it's it's kind of almost the trademark of Costco. It's almost more of what what like and uh, probably almost as many people know Costco for the hot dog and soda combo as know it for buying like eighteen yeah exactly flat and you TVs. can so the thing I I don't want to go on about the hot dog too much but like it's 
a big hot dog. It's not like a traditional, <laughs> like, small hot dog. And you can put, like, fresh onion that you can sort of, like, they have a little machine that will, like, put, like, fresh onion and relish on your hot dog. It is a crazy good, uh, like, it's a very good hot dog. Like, I can't imagine mm. they don't lose money on it. So, they don't. They do lose money. Uh, on it and they have been oh is that what your thing is about they have been losing money on it since 1984 they have not ever raised the price on it and they uh and and so recently apparently at a meeting the costco president and ceo whose name is w craig jelinek he was like and moaning about it he was grumbling about the price uh and how they're losing money on it and <laughs> I'm just going to read the next two lines from the, this article. In reply, Costco co-founder and former CEO Jim Sinegal made his opinion terrifyingly clear. Quote, If you raise the price of the effing hot dog, I will kill you, Sinegal told his successor. Per the outlet, figure it out. <laughs> All right. That well, is awesome. Hold on. What was it? I, I've heard of people being threatened... With death threats before, but over the price of a hot dog and soda combo is kind of a new thing for me. Okay, so here's the thing, and I actually have a little bit of insight in this. Sometimes at the grocery store, they'll sell like a pack of eggs for 50 cents or like a gallon of milk for $1.25 or something like that. But they know they're going to, like whatever the item is, they sell it for less money than they make on it. But the idea is you come into the grocery store, you buy your $1.25 gallon milk, and you buy some chicken and some cereal and some, like, hot dogs, maybe. And you they make all that money back. <laughs> the thing is, Costco does this in another area, too. The rotisserie chickens that you buy at the back, they specifically put them at the back of the store, so you have to walk past everything else. They sell them for 5 bucks, and those chickens cost them, I think, upwards of $7 a piece to make. And they do that specifically. They, I, I think I read at some point, they lose somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 million a year on chicken. But on the way back, you're going past the blue jeans and the tools and the iPads and all kinds of other stuff. And so they make up for that with the other things that you buy on the way back. And the only time you can get that hot dog is on the way out of the store. After like after you've already purchased your stuff, just because of and geographically so, like where it is in the so, store, like the arrangement of the store. exactly. So both on those chickens, there might be other stuff too, but on those chickens and on the hot dogs, I guarantee you they make far more money than they lose off of having them there. And all they're meant to be is that dollar twenty five milk. They're just supposed to be the thing that gets you in the door. Yep, and you fill up your cart with other stuff. So it it honestly terrifies me the the level of science that goes into like grocery store arrangement and like shelf placement advertising. When you look at casinos it gets even even darker because casinos will pipe in smells and make sure that there are no there are no clocks and there's no windows right. so you don't know what time no it is. Like the the psychology of getting people to spend more, of manipulating the layout of your store in order to maximize the amount of money that people stands, uh, spend, like, the fact that that is reliable, the fact that they, they do that because yeah. it 
works and makes the money is a extremely terrifying concept to me. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, this is one of the things that modern co- corporations spend. I mean, they spend inordinate amounts of money on this kind of research. Some other things that you just don't think of as expenses. You you think of these big com- companies like Walmart and where is all their profits going? Oh, you think you know, it's going in the owner's pockets and oh, plenty. Yeah. Is, plenty yeah a is. lot of it is. But, but, um, but they're also spending a shitload on things like this kind of research or, interestingly, how to get around tariffs. In fact, a lot of times when you see stuff like shirts with a little tiny pocket that's like down on the waist, but not normal place, right? Useless little pockets mm-hmm. in weird places. That is so that they can categorize that clothing as something else, as a, a costume or something like that, to avoid tariffs and other import taxes i totally believe that yeah yeah so they spend they spend tons of money on lawyers who specialize in exactly that Hmm. well so those these companies are rising as the new kind of like aristocracy you have this like scientific aristocracy where that that sort of research and information might be in fact privately owned that that sort of research might not be available to the general public so you have this informational advantage and just huge amounts of cash to spend at your disposal for to acquire that information yep yep yeah if you ever wonder why like you go to get like a costume and the one with velcro is a lot cheaper than the one with buttons or or zipper or something like that and the reason is because of these tariffs. If it has Velcro, they can avoid, like, huge, especially now with all the Trump economic warfare with China, huge tariffs to import it if they use Velcro instead of buttons, you know, whatever else, fasteners. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, so, yeah, Costco. Listen, go to Costco, get your hot dog, folks. Maybe get something other than soda because it's not great mm-hmm. for you. Mm, I don't think that the dollar fifty combo comes with anything else other than soda. Yeah. But you know what I come with is not having a catchphrase. Nailed it. Well, uh, I hope that we gave you guys all something to think about this week. <laughs> Alright, love you, bye. Bye. You always have to get the last word in, you son of a So I really do believe that like infinite power corrupts infinitely yeah. because any time I've been given any small <laughs> tiny measure of power it's gone immediately to my head